and welcome into the Nick State of Mind podcast. I'm Matt Castillo with Chip Murphy and Danny Small. And guys, we got a lot to get into today. Uh, you know, I, I've been proud of myself so far this season. I haven't had the, the big rant, okay? But as we were talking about doing the show today, I told you guys I got to vent a little bit here because I, I'm just starting to get real frustrated. And it's happened twice in, you know, the last three games. The Knicks have had a large lead, you know, 15 points in Charlotte or against Charlotte, I should say, over the uh, last weekend. Last night against Philadelphia, they're up 17 points in the third quarter, and yet they're still finding ways to lose the game. It is so freaking frustrating. I mean, you know, it's one thing where if they just play hard, they're playing a good team like Philly, and it's a close game throughout, and, you know, they get beat at the end. That's supposed to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's kind of what we have talked about, being a young team, not knowing how to win, how to close out games. But when you're up 17 points and when this continues to happen, it has been so frustrating, especially that Charlotte game. I mean, that was just good. That, I was at the beach, guys, All right, trying to enjoy time at the beach, watching that game at the night, and I'm, I'm ready to go. You know, I'm having a good time. I'm like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do that. As soon as I lost that freaking game, I was like, I'm ready for bed. I'm, I'm just so tired of it. They, they did ruin my freaking mood. This has got to stop. I mean, when you're up 17 points against Philly, and I know Philly's a good team, but my God, would you just stomp on their throats and not let them back in? Once Philly made that push, I was looking at a team that just looked like they were scared, and nobody wanted the basketball, and nobody wanted to make a freaking play to kind of stop the momentum that Philly was going, and you can kind of just see it. And it's getting to the point that even when they get a big lead, you're basically sitting and telling yourself, okay, when the hell are we going to blow it? That, that's how bad it's starting to get. I, I'll put it in this perspective. My fiance doesn't watch any basketball whatsoever. She maybe take a look at what I'm watching when I'm watching a Nick game and screaming and yelling like an idiot. Okay? She, not a basketball fan, right? She is able to tell me, yeah, they're going to blow it. it. It's becoming that easy and that predictable night in and night out. And I'm just, I, it's, me. it's, you know, you lose a close game because you battled and you lose to a better team. Fine. But how the hell do you blow a 15 point lead to Charlotte? Okay. I can't even name two players on Charlotte. All right. I, this, this is ridiculous. I, I think the, the counterpoint at least is in between those two bad kind of uh, collapses in between that they stepped on the Cavaliers' throats. You know, like, yeah. in that game, they, I think that was a step forward. Obviously, you don't want to see the 17-point loss the next, the very next game. But the Cavs, like, they they took the lead early, and then they just stepped on their throats in that third quarter. Like, midway through the third quarter, the game was over. Wasn't You know, it was, it was nothing. And that was a good response to the Charlotte game, for sure. But like you said, you don't want to come back and do the same thing over against, even though Philly is like, you know, title contender maybe type, you know, Eastern Conference come out of there type. Philly's a really good team, but it is tough to blow a 17-point lead like that. And I think um, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, I guess, cut Chip off or whatever, but I was 
going to lead this into our next or our first topic, whatever. Frank Nilakina, when he came out of that Philly game, that's when everything changed. And I know you can't plan the entire second half or anything like that. But when Frank came out of the game, that's when kind of everything changed, which, you know, is it just because he came out or was there a couple other subs in there? Probably a little bit of everything. But I mean, I think it's tough to undervalue what he's doing right now. Oh, absolutely. I agree. You know, I think Frank and, and that's that's where we wanted to go after after my vent session right here. And yeah, I was just <laughs> trying to talk you off the ledge for a minute there. And then it was, it was a good segue into uh, into Frank. Right. And that's a positive part. That's something to look forward to. And Frank has certainly taken this point guard job and, and it's his and it absolutely deserves to be his. It's not one of those things where, you know, it's such a big, important year for a guy. And sometimes they put him in there just to see what he can do, how he can handle it. Now, Frank, Frank has earned that starting point guard role and the game did change a little bit because Dennis Smith Jr. Right now, you can see it's just kind of all over the place. You know, part of that could be a lack of training camp, lack of preseason time, you know, miss about a week and a half with uh, his family tragedy. So it's been a really weird start to the season for him. But, you know, it's still just been very inconsistent there. It's no doubt the offense is running smoothly when Frank is on the floor. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, Chip, I want to get your thoughts on this and the way that Frank has looked before I go into, you know, what some of my thoughts are. Because uh, I mean, Frank is a guy that I think all of us, I think every Nick fan right now is looking at very closely. It, it is a big year for him. You just want to see some kind of growth moving towards a positive direction. And I think so far we have seen that. And, and Chip, I wanted to start with you. What are your thoughts on Frank and, and taking the starting point guard role? Yeah, I think it's huge. Uh, we all like Frank and want him to succeed. And it's not just, <clears throat> excuse me. It's not just what he's done on the court, but uh, the stats and all that. It's his body language. I think Mike Breen mentioned it a couple times. We've never seen him this energetic, this fired up before. He's really, he seems like, I don't know, excited to be out there for the first time. Right. He's, uh, you know, he was like that during FIBA, which we talked about uh, with the guys that he's known for a while and played with for a while and that coach that knows him really well but we've never seen him like this in new york and i think he's a big part of this starting lineup really settling in and playing really well this lineup with him and barrett and morris and randall and taj is plus 10.8 points per 100 possessions you know they're scoring 115.7 points per 100 possessions that's the first that's the number one ranked offense in the league So they're playing really well, this starting lineup. Now, when that starting lineup breaks up, when I know Portis, I hate to kick the guy when he's down, but when uh, there's a replacement like a Bobby Portis, it doesn't look quite as smooth. Mm -hmm. But uh, like Danny alluded to, the main issue so far has been when Frank comes out of the game, the Knicks just don't run. Yeah, the Knicks just don't run as smoothly. And... I'm not sure if that's because maybe long-term Dennis Smith should be more of an off-the-ball player, but uh, we always thought maybe Frank was going to be that guy. Maybe he was going to play more off the ball, but he's just, he's been so important to them, and I'm not sure if that's a bad thing or a good thing that one guy is such a make-or-break player when it seems like he has the impact of, like, 
LeBron James going off the court on uh, <laughs> uh, against the Sixers. It was like, and and all of Nick's Twitter was like, "Oh, Frank's off the court. We're fucked." It's like <laughs> it's like Jesus. This guy averages six. I love Frank, but he averages six points a game. Right, like, right, yeah. Like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> right. If we can't overcome him going to the bench, we're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. You know, it, it's just crazy, though, because that, that is the main thing, and it's so obvious. It's like Frank comes off the floor and, and the offense becomes stagnant. You know, there, there's one-on-one play, that typical bullcrap basketball that we have seen for, you know, four or five years leading up to it. And, you know, just, just to start off with what I've seen so far, and it's still early on into the season, but I, I go back to, you know, last year and what a lot of fans wanted from Frank, and I think they were reaching a little bit when they would say, oh, he is improved. You know, he's out there and he's, he's shooting the ball more. And my response was, who cares? If he took four shots a game in his rookie year and then second year takes ten, if they're not going in, it don't matter. You know, if you're trying to say he's a little bit more confident out there, what whatever, there was no real improvement. But this year – you can see that he's looking to score the ball more. He's taking good shots. I think the the only dumb thing I think he did so far this season is when he made that jump pass a couple of games ago and threw it into like the fifth row of the crowd. But I mean, everybody makes those kind of mistakes making a play, and he has made this offense look, you know, it's looked pretty good at times. He gets the ball moving. Um, I I do want to see him take a little bit more shots. I know in the Philly game he hit his first shot. And then there was that second possession. He came down. He had a wide open three, and he ended up dumping it off to Morris down in the post. And you know Morris threw it right back to him. Like, what are you doing? Shoot! And he did shoot, and he made it. And even what Clyde Frazier said in the game, he mm-hmm. goes, "Frank baffles me. I mean, he just knocked down his first shot, and now he's looking to pass when he's wide open. So I, I want him to be a little bit more, you know, aggressive and look to take that shot, where he can start building more confidence to do so. But I mean. It really was when Frank was in the game the last couple of years, you got a defensive impact from him. You got a guy that was going to go out there and defend hard and, and play with the energy on the defense end. But really, the offense, it was like four on five when we were on offense with him. He is starting to become a little bit of a piece. And like you said, Chip, it's only like six points a game. And at this point, I think, though, it's becoming where we know he's not going to be a guy that's going to put up 20 points a game, and that's fine. If he could just hit his open shots, create for others, you know, get that ball moving. Uh, you, you think back to, like, 2013, whatever that year, when the Knicks won 50-something games they made the playoffs. You know, Jason Kidd couldn't play a lick anymore. He couldn't – you know, he, he wasn't that good of a player anymore. But why were the Knicks successful? He came in there and got the ball moving. The ball passed. I, I seen four. And, and their other guy, their other guy was Prigioni, too, who's, like, yeah. kind of that same that right. same mold of, like, they didn't Those give you, guys, like – a ton of offense, but they right. kept things moving, kept the offense going. And it was not stagnant. And if it got stagnant, he, you know, Jason Kidd or Prigioni was in to make, you know, the offense start moving the ball again. You know, we, we had years of Kamal Anthony hold the ball at the elbow and 25 jab steps and a fadeaway jump shot with a second or two left on the shot clock. That didn't happen that year as much because we had guys. And I think that's the value that we have with Frank is that he's a guy that's coming in and, you know, getting that offense moving. Multiple guys are touching it. The ball's moving around. And it, it's been really fun to see. So, yeah, the, the stats are not jumping out at you all the time. Played very well last night in Philly. Uh, but there there is an impact from, 
from them, and that's all I can ask for. That's all I want to see at this point. Now, Danny, I'm going to ask you, you know, what what is something that they can do? What do you think this team could do? Because it, it is a problem when Frank leaves the floor. That, that It's just not the same offense. Is there a guy here that you think has to take on that role to give Frank more time? Is it maybe – Maybe is it, you know, Alfred Payton who's just out right now? You know, I, I don't know. But is there somebody else that you can see that might be an option to get this offense going when Frank needs a breather? Well, I think, I mean, I think it's it's got to be Dennis Smith Jr. right now. Yeah. now. I mean, he's the only other point guard. He's And, I like, I know we're kind of – we're all in agreement that the game changed when Frank left. But I don't think, I don't think it was – completely Dennis Smith Jr.'s fault because like he put he he actually had his yeah. best game of the year like he put up some points like he was pretty good on offense I'd say he's I mean his defense isn't as good as Frank obviously but you know it's hard to pin it all on him um but I mean I, they just got to let him play a little bit I mean same thing with Frank Frank didn't look good necessarily right away this season he needed to kind of like get his feet wet and get comfortable I mean I, I'm okay with letting Dennis Smith Jr. do that for a little while um, but I'm just I'm just going to jump back to Frank quick because we're talking about, you know, like his offensive game and everything he he does well. But it just it's it's weird because um, like I I mean, not weird, but I, I think his offense is coming. And it's funny because I was just talking to uh, at the game, I was just talking to Nick Batum about it. And that one play he made against the Hornets when he had that little spin step back in the mid range there. Like it was kind of like, whoa, like we you know, never see that from Frank. We've been seeing a lot more of that, like where he's having these like nice moves in the mid range. He's knocking down the shot. And Batum was just saying during FIBA, he was like, you know, when he first came in as a starting point guard, he's passing everything. He's like deferring to everyone. Like you take the shot, you take the shot. And he, um, Batum told me like, basically like Gobert, Fournier, DiColo, like they all like went to him and were like, Hey man, like you're the point guard, like go, like we trust you, like show the world who you are, like show everyone, you know, who you can be. And, like, that's kind of when we first started, like, seeing, like, the USA game, he hit those shots. And he's carrying it into the season because now he knows he doesn't, like, there's no one looking over his shoulder necessarily. Like, he doesn't think, like, someone's coming and, like, I might, if I make one bad play, I'm not going to be the starter anymore. I think he feels pretty comfortable and confident, which I think it's just tough because the other point guards on the team, Smith and Peyton, have had such tough years, you know, with everything Dennis Smith had going on, Alfred Peyton. You've had to go with R.J. Barrett as a point guard at times. I mean, it's been it's just been a weird year for their point guards. But I mean, like you know, for the Knicks' sake, like thank God that Frank is having this you know awakening almost. Yeah, and Chip, you know, you kind of talked about it. Uh, you know, when you're speaking about Dennis Smith Jr., that we we don't right now we don't really know is he a point guard or a two guard. You know, but is it one of those things where you feel like perhaps he is better off being off the ball, being a guy that's not really looking uh, to facilitate? Because, you know, with me, I think he's a guy that likes to attack the basket. And I think that's where his value is. You know, yeah, can dump it off and stuff like that. But I don't necessarily look at him as a true point guard. Would you agree with me, Chip, on that? Do you think Dennis Smith Jr. is probably showing that he's probably not the best backup point guard option to come in? and try to get that offense going. And is that a reason why the Knicks have struggled with this backup unit in? Well, I don't think he's the reason they've struggled with the backup unit in. I think there's other reasons, like I think mainly Bobby Portis has been struggling lately. He's very, he's been very streaky. Yeah. But uh, as far as Dennis Smith goes, I think his 
just my opinion, his best role would be suited as, I know it's a cliche, we say it all the time, but like a Jamal Crawford, J.R. Smith, straight up shooter off the bench role. Uh, because he's doesn't seem like he's going to be, I know he's still young, but he doesn't seem like he's going to be much of a playmaker. And he's a guy who can fill it up. He's shown he can do that. And the Knicks already have that guy, the guy who can set people up and do that. And Alfred, that's also when Alfred Payton comes back, That's he's a pass first point guard too. So if Smith can just be that guy who comes off the bench and scores, uh, maybe they can, when Payton comes back, you play him alongside Payton. I'd like to see Smith play with Frank. You know, I really, that's one. Fizz, uh, yeah, Fizz has talked about that, but we haven't really seen much of it. Uh, yeah, I was I was just going to say, Fizz, at, uh, that Fizz has talked about that. Because uh, um, I was looking, when we, uh, when I was preparing for this, I was looking up Clean the Glass, and I saw that uh, Frank and DSJ have only been on the court for three possessions the whole season. I was pretty surprised by that. But yeah, I think the the one game they he was looking to do it. Um, I forget. It might have been was it Cleveland or Charlotte? It might have been Charlotte. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. got into like foul trouble like right yeah. away, and then mm-hmm. you know they, it just became hard to do it. But that is interesting. I didn't realize it was only three possessions. I figured it would be yeah. a couple more than that. No, I'm looking. I'm, I want to see if they did it more last year. Like if they were on the court last year at all. I don't, I, I don't I, think so. I honestly, I don't think so because Frank was hurt for a little while there. Yeah, uh, much. I think the entire time Dennis Smith Jr. was was with the Knicks last season. I think Frank yeah. was hurt. He played two games in there, but Smith was also hurt for a little bit too. Um, yeah, they weren't on the court it, at it's all. Actually, together. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. They yeah. they haven't played at all together. That's like a new uh, a new duo there. I'd we be, could. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to s- see that, especially because that would really test out Smith's off the ball potential too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know Frank's not the type of point guard who needs the ball in his hand a hundred times. So true, you know, true. Like hundred percent of the time down the court. Like I mean, you see a lot of times like Barrett brings it up, Randall. You have Dennis Smith Jr. with him. Dennis Smith Jr. can still handle the ball a little bit, which you know he that's when he's kind of like very comfortable, or at least that's what he thinks. Like. You know, maybe being oh, more of like God. a hybrid role would be good for him. The uh, what was I just think? Oh, Smith's uh, he made a couple. That's what I wanted to say. Uh, Smith made a couple threes against Philly. That was good to see. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's see, like I know the game kind of turned when he subbed in for Frank, but like he did have like a decent offensive game. He knocked down a couple yeah. shots. He confident. Right. Like I felt bad almost like criticizing him because. Like, I mean, I think actually part of it too was probably you know Knox defensively was just really really rough out there. Um, like, yeah, he like didn't even Chip play in the second Portis. half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was no, Portis there, is there, a there, disaster. God. Yeah, there's, I think there's more. Yeah, there's there's a lot of issues with that second unit right now. Um, but I mean, yeah, like we said, Peyton can come back. I mean, I don't know if Alonzo Trier is going to dig his way out of the doghouse, but uh, they he might because they may have to switch some things need, up. If yeah. they need some scoring punch on that second unit, which not even that that was the problem, but if they need something else on that second unit, they can always go with that. He can't – Portis can't guard anybody. 
Like <laughs> he can't guard anybody. So that's a problem. It's it's I think it's helpful for him to be with Mitch because Mitch can yeah, kind of yeah. cover up for a lot of the problems of you know guys around him. But you're right. I mean, it, it, the defense has been tough out there because. Yeah, it's the the whole the defense on the whole second unit is is very suspect, which is a yeah, uh, you know, outside of Mitch. And, and it's kind of where you know, and like you guys are saying with Dennis Smith Jr. He played well, but it, it's it's just a clear drop off though from once the second unit comes in from from the first unit, and it's just you, you look at it, it, it is a mess. You know, you got Knox is losing minutes because you know he is struggling in a lot of different areas. Uh, you, you know, Dotson on last night, one of six from downtown, just two points, you know, in 20 minutes. Uh, you know, this second unit, somebody's going to have to come in and play with a little bit more consistent, you know, consistency here. Uh, it, yeah, I think it's something that hurts them because when these starters are in, they're, they're, they're playing well. But I think we're losing a lot of games when we have to pull these guys out, and it's something that Fisdale is going to have to figure out. And that kind of brings me now to what we wanted to get back into a little bit more here, which was the rotation. And, you know, one thing I can think of right off the bat from the rotation, I was just curious to see if you guys kind of felt the same way as well. Uh, you know, the game against Charlotte last weekend. Uh, you know, Mitchell Robinson comes off the bench, was playing very well. I know he got banged up in the game. I know he, he got hurt a couple of times. And I do understand that he probably had to come out to get, you know, just a little bit of rest. But I felt like the rest was a little too much. I don't know if you guys agree with me or kind of felt that way. But, you know, and I know that game was last week, so we've got to think back a little bit here. But I thought Mitchell Robinson was just destroying the Hornets. Like, they had nobody that was matching his athleticism. Uh, he was dominating on the board, you know, several alley-oops. They didn't have an answer for him, uh, you know, keeping offensive possessions alive. And I felt like in that fourth quarter, he got an extended rest there. And I think that kind of cost him a little bit in that game. I don't know if you guys, you know, felt like, you know, Mitchell Robinson should have been out there a little bit more, and that kind of cost us in that game against Charlotte. I think I think it I think the reason for the extended rest was because of the injury. I think he because he he came he when he came back in he was limping a little bit. Uh, actually, on the final play, actually, Fisdale said that he he was supposed to um, come out and contest uh, Graham's three, but he didn't. He kind of just like stood like he was stuck in the mud. I don't know. They didn't say like oh it was because he was hurt because any they never said anything like that. But on the last play there, you know, like Knicks would have won that game if if Robinson comes out and contests that shot. Um, so, I mean, I agree with you. Mitch was fantastic. But I don't know if maybe they rushed him out there. But then again, if you had a better option on the bench, I mean, I think it's just like what Fisdale said was um, essentially, you know, sometimes 21-year-olds don't make the right read. You know, he, Mitch was supposed to be the guy coming out and defending that. But – you know, sometimes young players make mistakes late in games. It happens. You know, it's understandable. You know, and Chip, this one is for you because this is really something that we have heard the last couple of weeks. It's kind of died down a little bit here as there's other things to talk about. But, of course, you know, one thing about this rotation is the heavy minutes that we've seen from R.J. Barrett. And a lot of people have criticized uh, David Fisdale for maybe leaving the rookie out there a little too long and, 
you know, worried about that rookie wall and that burnout and all that. What are your thoughts on the way that he's handling R.J. Barrett? Do you think it's something that he has to scale back on or, you know, he's 19 years old, he's good to go? As far as the whole, his attitude towards load management and how he was so dismissive of it and said, oh, he's 19, he's good to go. I didn't really like that. Mm -hmm. I thought like him, what was it? The Kings game where he was on the court at the end in like a 20 point blowout. I thought that was ridiculous. I think he, that, that was the game, right? Danny, where he ended up Mm -hmm. playing like 40 minutes in a 20 point blowout. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah. Blowout in the garden. Yeah. That was ridiculous. But he, uh, he was so dismissive of the idea that the, rookie wall and all these other people who are like, uh, you know, look at all these other guys who played all these minutes when they were rookies. It didn't affect them. Well, the game's extremely fast. Now look at all the possession. There's so many more possessions. The pace is up. How do you think James Harden is scoring all these points so easily? Teams are playing really fast. RJ Barrett is running up and down the court a lot more than, uh, all these older players ever did. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not saying it's a problem right now, but I don't want to see RJ Barrett average 36 minutes for the entire season. I'd prefer not to see that, especially not with all the injuries that go on in the NBA now. I mean, I don't want to see him end up like Isaiah Thomas when he's 30 or 29, whatever Isaiah was. You know, I we've seen a lot of injuries ruin careers in the league to young guys, too. Uh, at the same time, I see where Vizdale's coming from. I mean, I think I tweeted mm-hmm. it out. Damian, when Damian Lillard was a rookie, he led the league in minutes of one rookie of the year. So I'm sure Fisdale looks at that would be his rebuttal to it. But like you're, I don't know. I just think that it, this season, Fisdale, I know he's coaching for his job. And with RJ out there, it gives the team the best chance to win. So he's going to play him as much as he can. but. I think that you need to take the kid's health into consideration. I long term, I don't think it's good for him to be, like I said, playing thirty five, thirty six minutes a night. I don't, I don't think it's good. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I definitely agree with you. I think he's got to scale it back. But I think part of it, and you you kind of <laughs> touched on it a little there, is just I think like a lot of coaches are just tired of hearing the words load management. Yeah. So Fizz was just, like that was like why his reaction was like you know like enough with the load management stuff. But I do like right now he's about thirty four minutes a game. I think if he's scaling that back to you know thirty minutes a night, I think that's that's okay. And, I, you know, I don't mind him playing every game. Like, I don't think they're going to need to rest him on back-to-backs or anything like no, that. No, to, no, no. To, to a certain extent, yeah, he is a 19-year-old kid. But I think you definitely have a good point there, Chip. Like, in a, you know, 20-point loss and he's playing, you know, 41, 42 minutes, that's just, you know, what's he learning at that point? You know, what's he, what's he gaining from that experience on the floor? Yeah, I felt like that was – you know, very foolish to have him out there. And that's really when the conversation started that, you know, right now might be playing, you know, a little too much minutes here. And, you know, we look at it as some of the bigger storylines this season really was, again, you know, Frank and this rotation. And right now, you know, the starting rotation seems to be working. You know, I do think eventually Mitchell Robinson will probably move back into the starting rotation at some point and Tosh Gibson will, will move out. 
But, you know, the, the starting rotation has been clicking here, and so more so now on the rotation of how Fisdale is putting in the bench players. We've been talking about this throughout this episode uh, here about, you know, this second unit. And, and what are some of the th- thoughts that you guys have on, you know, this what he could do a little bit differently here in the second unit to jumpstart him? Because that has been the story. That has been the struggle. The starting lineup has played very well. The backup unit has struggled. If you're a Fizdale, what are some of the things that you're willing to try here? And Chip, I'll start with you. What are some things that he can do with this rotation uh, to jumpstart this second unit? Is it playing some of the starters with him? You know, maybe not every starter out. Then we'll have our next five kind of in. Is it shortening the rotation? Uh, you know, is that something that we could see here, where they play eight and the nine players instead of you know the ten to eleven that they have been playing? What are some of your thoughts with the rotation in the second unit? Well, first of all, I think he's got to hope that when Alfred Payton comes back, he plays well. Because right now he's basically playing with one true point guard. And when Alfred Payton comes back, they'll have a real backup point guard because Smith is more of a combo guard and likes to create for himself. So if Payton comes back and plays well, I think that fixes some things. But as far as things he can do differently with the bench, uh, he can change some things around. But I, I don't, I don't know if I want to change this starting lineup because it is right. It has been really effective together. Not that, not that moving Mitch into the starting mm-hmm. lineup would mean it would be less effective, especially since it's not like he would play a lot of minutes because he's always fouling himself off the floor anyway. <laughs> yep. So. Uh, but I do like this group together, at least at the beginning of games. They've been really good, and Taj has meshed really well with those guys. And But the bench, I mean, look, they've been a disaster defensively. <laughs> so, uh, But what are you going to do? You're going to move someone to the bench that's going to make – that's going to be better than Mitchell Robinson? No. You could move – the best defensive player in the starting lineup is Frank, and you can't move him to the bench. Right. So he's been so good as a starter, but, and he's, there's no way he's going to bench Randall. Uh, but uh, I, the, the question that's been uh, plaguing Nick's Twitter for a while, I feel like, is the uh, potential benching of Marcus Morris. And I know he's been really good, but, and I know Kevin Knox looks like a nightmare on defense every single night. But it could come to that time eventually where you need to consider making a change. And Morris, if he really is like the team player that he's pretending he is or not pretending that he's acting like he is, then he might be okay with it and switch things up. But I don't know. I'm, again, I'm not sure they should change the starting lineup right now. It's playing well. But as well as I said the stats were, they are still losing games. So you may have to make an adjustment. Uh, but I don't think you can make a clear assessment until you see the way Alfred Payton plays, I guess, next to Dennis Smith and with Bobby Portis and Mitchell Robinson for like a 10 or 5 or 10 game stretch, whatever he wants to give it. I, right. I, I think more likely than Marcus Morris going to the bench and Knox starting would be actually 
and maybe this is reactionary just from the Philly game, but is Knox falling out of the rotation entirely? And those, yeah, yeah, small, those small forward minutes going to, you know, Barrett, you know, when he's when he's in, he's in maybe with like a, you know, a different unit that pushes him to the three. Or you'd see Dot playing some three, you know, stuff like that. Because like, oh, Dotson, Jesus, I always for, feel like I fucking forget about Dotson. God. Yeah, you can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't, like, you can't live with like an eight or nine man rotation all season long. But you know, I wouldn't be surprised if until like in the interim, until uh, like Peyton's back, maybe they scale down to nine, give Morris more like more minutes, you know, on on the second unit there. Or, kind of stagger the way they they do things because I think now with Dotson even though he's been kind of up and down and he's not hitting his shots necessarily I think he he at least is the threat of a three-point shot plus his defense he 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 gives effort defensively like he's maybe not the best off-ball defender he gets kind of beat back door he kind of loses his man sometimes which you know not great but he's he's a good rebounder he like defends so I wouldn't be surprised to see more dot in the future yeah, I think going forward, you know, I think Fizdale is going to have to. And the reason why I asked about shortening the rotation is I wanted to, you know, see your guys' thoughts on that. But, you know, that's something that I thought about that maybe he's going to have to do here for a little bit. You know, I think throughout the season, you're going to have to go through stretches where you play a little bit more. It's just about, you know, making sure you're not running your players into the ground here. Plus, you know, it depends on where you're at in the season, you know, if you're a team that's just fading and not really in the race, then you're going to expand it and you're going to let as many guys as possible play like we've seen the last several years here. Um, but, you know, I, I think at the early going, I think Fisdale should consider the fact of maybe shortening this rotation here, maybe going with just a couple of guys off the bench, kind of in and out uh, and seeing how that, that plays out. And if that will work out better for this team right now, you know, I think Kevin Knox, as you had mentioned, Chip, he has been so bad defensively, uh, really just has not, I felt, hasn't really added a whole lot right now here in his second season. Uh, you know, Trier's a guy that's kind of, you know, has fallen out of the rotation as well as, you know, Ellington, uh, you know, Dotson, I, I, I do like, and I've liked since we drafted him. I think he has a potential to be a, you know, a dangerous three-point shooter and a guy that could be an athletic defender. Uh, you know, we've seen him block a shot last night. Um, but, you know, if he's going to be shooting one for six, maybe his minutes, 20 minutes might be a little too much for a guy that's really not putting anything out there. I think it, it might be time for Fisdale to consider maybe going to about eight players, eight to nine players, uh, and seeing if he can get away with that. Um, you know, but it all will depend on you know, as you guys mentioned, that he should be getting Peyton back soon. You gotta try to find him some minutes as well to give Frank a little bit of a breather. See if he can run the offense there in the second unit. But you know, that's just that's some of the thoughts that I had on with it. And now, you know, kind of as we're transitioning here, wrapping up the show here in just a you know a little bit. Take a look really quick at the Knicks schedule. You know, you look at the rest of this month. They have the Spurs Saturday. Uh, they have Brooklyn Sunday. They had the Raptors, 76ers, and then the early part of December, Celtics, Bucks, Nuggets. This Nick team is a very tough stretch coming up here. It could be one of those, you know, moments, one of those stretches throughout the season where you kind of figure out if you're really going to be able to kind of turn this around, get back into it, 
or not. You know, I, I think this is a very crucial <laughs> stretch for the Knicks coming up here and can tell us a lot about this team, you know, with some of these teams coming up. You know, these next eight, ten games or so, if they go bad, if they go bad here, and this is uh, something that, you know, we've seen whispers about, you know, around is, is people are already calling for Fisdale's job, but you know, is it possible that we can see a coaching change? You know, if, if by December, maybe even by Christmas, this team is struggling, or you guys still feel like Fisdale's going to be here for the rest of the season? He'll be here if they play like they did against Philly. I mean, they, you know, yeah, they blew the 17 point lead. It's a tough loss. It hurts, but I, I don't, I, I think Fizz is okay. I, I, maybe I'm reactionary from the last four games or whatnot, but like Spurs lost seven in a row. That's a winnable game. Nets at home. That's a winnable game. I mean, I, I asked, I actually asked Fizz that question about this upcoming schedule and he basically gave the standard, you know, one game at a time, yada, yada. He gave the standard answer. But, I mean, let's see. Because one of those playoff teams that's in that stretch is the Warriors. I mean, I know that's on a, a West Coast road road trip, which is not easy. But there's, they, if, as long as they pepper in a, a few wins in this stretch, uh, I think Fizz will be fine. I think the, the expectations, people kind of know what they are now. I think that first really bad stretch in the beginning was kind of like, a shock because every year people think, no, we're going to be better than, you know, we actually are fans think that, you know, probably the team I'm sure does too. But now people kind of know, all right, you know, this team's not going to be great, but they're going to kind of battle and fight. And, you know, they're not going to be unwatchable like they were last year. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that because you bring up, you know, how this, how they've looked and, and the expectations that people have again, you know, going back, I felt like it's going to be obviously a much improved team. But, you know, you had a lot of people that thought this team was going to be a playoff team, all these crazy, you know, predictions that they've had. I've seen fans that say they're going to win 40-something games this year. And it's it, it, we, we got into that before we got a laugh in that, you know, during during the offseason. But despite, you know, me not having too much high expectations for this team, yeah, they have played well in the last, you know, four or five games, but they're still losing these games. And even with my expectations that were not very high right now, I think this team is below even what my expectations were. And it's been a little frustrating, if I'm being honest, Chip. I don't know, you know how you, you think of that and get your thoughts. <clears throat> you know, with this stretch coming up, several tough games here. There's a few winnable ones, but there's, you know, Brooklyn – is a team that you know we can compete with, but they're better than us. That's that's what it's going to come down to. So I, I, you know, I look ahead. There isn't a game on the schedule, or too many games on the schedule, where I go, "Yep, that that should be a win." I mean, we just lost to Charlotte for Christ's sake. You know what I mean? It's hard to pick these kind of games to go. Yeah, that that should be a win here. Um, but you know, Chip, based off of your thoughts, where is this team based off your expectations? Is this kind of where you thought they would be? And how important is this stretch of games that they're going through? Yeah, they're kind of where I thought they would be right now. Okay, I didn't think they. I mean, they're four and eleven, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't think they'd be. Uh, I didn't think they'd be a five hundred team after, however, fifteen games. I didn't think they'd be like eight and seven, seven and eight. I, you know. Uh, Seven games under five hundred after fifteen games. That seems uh, about right. You know, I, I I thought if they won thirty games, that would be a 
a successful season. I actually think they've exceeded my expectations, to really? be honest. Yeah, Whoa. because because I always expect the worst from the Knicks, and I've seen <laughs> more fair. more good than I could have possibly expected. Um, and, uh, you know, the Julius Randle thing, I immediately expected disaster when they signed him, and he's had, he had the one game, but uh, I still am very skeptical on... Julius Randle, but uh, obviously Frank has been incredible and RJ has been incredible and mm-hmm. uh, he's ex- they both exceeded any expectations we could have had. So that's been great. And the record, yeah, they're right about where I thought they'd be. But Danny mentioned how bad the Nets, I think, eventually will turn it around and. Mm-hmm. Go to the playoffs, but we are playing them at home. That's a winnable game. At Toronto, they'll probably lose that. They did just play the Sixers really well, uh, and now they're at home. Uh, it's hard to beat the same team twice in a row. Uh, so I think the Knicks have a good shot there. Ben Simmons uh, is nine. He's nine and zero against the Knicks in his career, though. I'll that's throw true. That, that little yeah, stat out there. That's true. <laughs> Uh, and then they got the Celtics. The Celtics, I mean, just Brad Stevens just does an incredible job against the Knicks. Whether or not he's, whether or not they're kicking the shit out of Porzingis, they still are doing a great job against the Knicks. But they are at home Sunday matinee, and then uh, they're at Milwaukee. I don't like their chances there. And then uh, back home, Denver. I don't like that one. Indiana, I don't like that one. And then at Portland, Portland is not playing very well. Yeah. So they're but getting Portland that. at the right time. Portland's done this before and started off slow and then became red hot. I, yeah, I, I think they're, I think it's gonna I think they're yeah. getting Portland at the right time. Right. Yeah. Uh, they're getting Good Portland point. in December. Good point. So, but uh, I think they do play a couple games they could win there. Uh, they could beat Philly. Could get lucky against Boston or something, but it is a really tough schedule, and they could be in a. They're seven games under now. I wouldn't be surprised if they're like twelve games under mm. after this stretch. And as far as Fizdo getting fired, though, I think the way Frank. It's pretty ironic. I think the development of some of these players, <laughs> like Frank, like Frank Nielakina. May end up saving David Fisdale's job. Right. It's pretty funny, actually. And uh, his seat—I think Mark Berman wrote that his seat has cooled off, and I kind of agree. No one's really talking about that now. I mean, people are people are talking about Frank Ilakina right, right now. And I think why it started, and why even when I say that it's been under my expectations, is because there has been a few really just awful losses. I mean, we talked about the the Sunday game against Sacramento a couple weekends ago uh, where they just looked like they didn't want to play basketball. And then they backed that up the next Sunday by getting Mm -hmm. demolished by Cleveland. And then you'll lose to the freaking Charlotte Hornets. You know, that, that, those are games that I expect this Nick team to beat. You know, the Hornets. I, I, the Hornets are a little better than people. They're a lot expected, better. I think. Than now. Yeah, I think. Are, like, I think. They are better. I, I, I'm not. I'm not trying to say that it was like, oh, it was a good loss or moral victories or anything like that. Because Charlotte Hornets, then 
every team should want to beat the Charlotte Hornets. Like that's every team should. You know, so I get your your point for sure. But like, you know, Devontae Graham, he's impressive. He like he went off towards the end of that game. And if you look at the screen cap of or you know, like a screenshot of the final three that he hit. Frank is like Frank a fingertip yes. away. Yeah, Frank wow. Right. You know, like right. we talked we talked earlier, I, I kind of threw Mitch Robinson under the bus for missing, uh, you know, missing the closeout on it. But Frank was, you know, it yes. was an inch away from that being like, what a win. Frank Milikina gets the block at the buzz. Like we were seconds away, or, right. you know, millimeters away from that really happening. It came so. down to but, stop the last three or four minutes of that game. It was, it, yeah, it was the – it was at the end of the game. They just started, you know, obviously you hold the team to 103 points. That's pretty good. But part of that was they were playing slower. They just didn't cover the three point line, the three point line. They just like let teams walk all over them at times, which, which is a killer. You know, when, I mean, you get lucky because Philly doesn't really have a ton of shooters, but then you let Mike Scott go off in the last court. You know, it's like, you got it. You just got to be a little bit better on that, that kind of stuff. But it's going to take some time for them to learn how to win these games. They're going to take their lumps these next, you know, 10 or so games. Because the playoff team stretch, you know, whatever it was, 11 straight games, that leads into like a four-game West Coast road trip with Sacramento Kings and Denver Nuggets tacked on to the end. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough little stretch here. But who knows? Spurs, like we said, Spurs aren't very good. Started off with a win here. Maybe take a back-to-back against the Nets. We've seen and the- and the happen. Spurs are the worst three-point shooting team in the league. That's they don't even take them. Yeah, so, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I wanted to wrap this up really quick with just quick thoughts on it because it's not Nick-related, but it is Nick-related, I guess, with Carmelo Anthony back into the league. I just wanted to you get yeah. your guys' quick thoughts on, on Melo and signing with uh, Portland. Chip, I'll start with you. Uh, I think it's kind of a desperation move for Portland. Like, uh, even... I think Portland admitted like they need Mello just as much as he needs them. For Mello, I'm super happy. I'm right. just great. It's great to see him back in the league, though. I mean, it's uh, you watched his uh, first game against uh, New Orleans, and boy, it was it was a bummer to see Portland lose. But they didn't have Dame Lillard. Uh, they don't look good right now, though. Portland. Uh, they really don't. <laughs> I hope I hope Melo doesn't get thrown under the bus for for yeah, like because, they were bad before. Yeah, because, they were yeah, they weren't before. playing well before. Yeah, they weren't playing. It's pretty. It's pretty funny though that uh, some guy immediately, of course, tweeted out Melo had a terrible plus minus, and I was like, you played yeah. twelve minutes. Come on. Yeah, I single mean, game four. Four for 14 is not good. We all understand that. But he hasn't played in a year. I mean, yeah. listen, I, I saw somebody tweet out something like, so just let me know when we can talk or start talking about Melo is like washed. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I get it. Like, eventually, if he's playing bad, we have to be like, oh, Melo is washed. But, I mean, one game. Like, uh, let's – we'll see. We'll see. Right. I'm happy yeah. for him, too. I mean, yeah. he wanted to play for so long. He's clearly still into it. And he is literally the one guy, like, in the last 20 years who's actually wanted to play in New York and wanted to be the guy in New York. Knicks fans, I know they had an up-and-down relationship with him, like, over the years, but Knicks fans should all be, like, happy for Melo right now, I think, right now. Yeah. He's just he's, – he's finally getting that um, one last chance, you know? And I would hate it if he did not get to finish his career, you know, playing. If it's just nobody mm-hmm. wanted to pick him up, 
you know, I, I just think Melo's been one of the best players since he's entered this league, and I think he deserves to finish out his career playing. And hopefully he has a couple more years left, uh, so I'm rooting for him. Uh, you know, I, I did see some plus-minus uh, tweets as well, Chip. And it's just one of those things. Well, plus-minus to me doesn't always tell the story. There's some stats, and, and plus-minus can tell you some things. There's no doubt. But it also could be a little misleading. I mean, you put me on the floor with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and they have a 20-plus lead, and I did nothing. My plus-minus looks real great. You know what I mean? So it doesn't always tell the, the story there. But I, I am rooting for him. I'm happy for him. I was very excited. Um, you know, Chip, I seen your tweet that the mellow news broke out in the Knicks and the Dallas game. Yeah, know? yeah, that was great. Um, yeah, <laughs> well, that was it was, well. it was fitting because everyone was asking Carmelo about or uh, everyone was asking Carmelo, everyone was asking Porzingis about it after you know after the game, and he obviously he's like, oh, I'm happy for him. You know those, you know those two, they're they've been boys or whatever. But uh, yeah, they like mellow Jan- January first that. Could be his last game ever in Madison Square Garden if he's still on Portland by that time. Right. Yeah, that would be. It's gonna be. That's gonna be crazy if yeah. if Melo's like you know healthy and or what you know he doesn't he doesn't get released again or whatever. That's gonna oh, be a God. nutty. Can you nutty. imagine? It's if it's it gonna be, be almost. It's gonna be like it won't be as it won't be the complete reverse opposite, but it'll be similar to like Porzingis coming back. Just people will be cheering him, you know, like every time he touches yeah. the ball. I think, yeah, I think, I think Knicks fans are at this point are kind of like, ha- uh, mostly, I'd say, happy for him. Right. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up and we'll leave it there. We'll be back next week for another episode of the Knicks Data Mind Podcast.